There we go. Isn't technology awesome? Sometimes. <laughs> Good morning. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Uh, before we get started with the word, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are in our lives. Lord, I thank you for this series of messages that we're diving into to find out not just about your life, but who you are. <laughs> Lord, I pray that as we move through this series, you would begin to reveal to us more and more about who you are in our lives, that we would deepen our relationship with you, that we would move closer to you. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember last week we began the study in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a book not just about the facts of his life, but an intimate look as to who he is, his character. Not only his character, but the who he called, you know, he called disciples. He called people to him. There are two things that I want us to remember from last week. If you were here last week, we started at the beginning of John with what? Go to the first slide. It said this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Amen. I don't ever want us to forget that Jesus is a part of the Trinity. Jesus is a part of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't just show up on the scene in the New Testament. He didn't just show up when Mary and Joseph were around. He has been active and present before what we know as creation. He has been active and present the entire time. The second thing I want want you to remember is this, that grace and truth come through Christ. Go to the next slide. It says this, For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? How many are thankful for grace? Amen. Not just a set of rigid laws, but what, what, remember what the Scripture said? It's grace upon grace. I'm so thankful for grace upon grace. Maybe I'm the only one who needs it. I don't know. There's a lot of perfect people here this morning. How many, how many are perfect this morning? No, Beth <laughs> She's shaking her head like, no. Oh, man. At the end of last week, we were just beginning to get into the account of John the Baptist. Uh, the Apostle John, so there's the Apostle John and John the Baptist. So remember, there's two Johns, okay? And we're going to give distinctions for each one. Uh, he's about to get into the testimony of John the Baptist about his encounter with Christ. The writer here doesn't go into great detail about what happened. The, the writer here actually kind of glosses over it a bit. He recounts the events... But it's clear that he kind of wants to move ahead into the work of Christ. He wants to move ahead, and in order to see the event in full, in order to see what happened at the baptism of Jesus, we have to look at Luke chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1. It says this, I know that we're studying the Gospel of John, but we're going to move into Luke just for this part of it. It says this, and I want you to stick with me here because there's a lot of tough names. So I'm going to ask some different people, to pronounce those names for me. In the 15th year of the reign of... Come on. Tiberius. 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 Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod, the tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of... (laughs) Thank you, Bob. Bob, you're going to get the microphone in a minute here. Of Ituria and Tim. 
<laughs> Bob's giving you some help there, Tim. And Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. Say Caiaphas. The word of God came to John. Now we're getting into some words we can pronounce. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, it took a little bit to get through that, right? If, you, if you're reading it, it takes a little bit to get through it. What we have here is in order to go through all these names in the 15th year of the reign, he's setting up a timeline. He's setting up the timeline of what's happening here. We have the, the timeline of John the Baptist. Because of the people being described and, and the names and, and, and who's ascribed to which thing, we can safely say that the year of what's being described here is between 27 and 29 A.D. Right around 27, 29 A.D. And this is when God calls John the Baptist. God calls John the Baptist. And I like this. There's commentary that says this. God's timing is just as important as his call. God had a specific thing for John to do and a specific timing for him to try for him to do it. Amen. God's timing is just as important as his call. We never want to get ahead of God's timing. Amen. We never want to get behind God's timing either. We can be in a dangerous place when we're either ahead of God's timing or behind God's timing. And it says this in, in verse 3. It says this. Go to the next slide. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Go to the next slide. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a description of John the Baptist. This is a description. John the Baptist is fulfilling this testimony, fulfilling this prophecy. And here's what it says. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. This is about John the Baptist. He's a fulfillment of this prophecy. He's preparing the way for Christ. Amen. The people that come to him, the people that came to him were being baptized. And you say, well, Pastor David, is this kind of the same thing that we do in baptism? I, I want to explain this to you. They came to be baptized in, and believing that they would be baptized to be cleansed. Now, here's the interesting thing. If a person was non-Jewish and wanted to become Jewish, they would be baptized. This was not a strange custom. They would be baptized. But here, we have Jews being baptized. This is what's so strange about it. There's an acknowledgement that they were just as bad as non-Jews. There's an acknowledgement from these Jewish people that they were just as bad as non-Jews. That they needed repentance just like anybody else did. That's the interesting thing here. It should be noted, you know, the baptism that we take part in as Christians is not the same baptism seen here. It is not the same baptism. There's a fantastic commentary that says this. This is different from our baptism, which is seen in Romans chapter 6, 3 and 4, because our baptism is a baptism into Christ. 
where our immersion in water identifies us with Jesus' death and resurrection. Amen? The baptism of repentance that John represented identified a person with their need to get right with God and be cleansed. In that day, this was their, before Christ, this is their water baptism. Their water baptism would be our acceptance of Christ in our lives. Our understanding that we need to, to be cleansed and forgiven of our sins. And then after we, be, we get saved, then we have a water baptism that identifies us with Christ. Amen? He said to the crowds, we then see, this is how John preached to the people. This is how John the Baptist preached to people. Listen to this. Go to the next slide. He said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Just because Abraham's your father, he's saying this, just because Abraham's your father doesn't mean you're all good. Just because you're a Jewish person doesn't mean you're all good. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to bring that excuse up with me and say, well, Abraham's our father. I'm, I'm part of the Jewish covenant. I'm part of this. No, no, that doesn't, that's not good enough anymore. That's just not good enough. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit, listen to this, is cut down and thrown into the fire. How many remember the chainsaw sermon? Yeah, <laughs> Doug really remembers it. You brood, how, I, what, how's this for an introduction? You brood of vipers, you, you bunch of snakes. I mean, how, how many are here maybe for the first time today? First, second time, third time? Okay, great. If, if I got up here and the first thing I said, you bunch of snakes, First thing I said, what are you doing here? This is what John the Baptist, you, you, you bunch of snakes, who warned you to come here? But they listened and they stayed because he was making straight the path for the Lord. Here's the interesting thing. He says, you bunch of snakes, who warned you about what's coming? John's message was not politically correct. He didn't coddle people. Okay, he, he, in today's culture, we just, well, you know, we just don't want to offend. We just want to make you feel warm inside. Right? That's why we give you coffee. Come on. It works. <laughs> he was preaching repentance. The guy, the John, John the Baptist is preaching repentance. He says, you brood of vipers, get right with God, you bunch of snakes. How's that for a sermon series? Yeah? <laughs> get right with God, you bunch of snakes. I like what uh, David Guzik says about John the Baptist. He says this. I like this. John was weird. Any man who preached like this, lived in the desert, wore funny clothes, and lived on grasshoppers and honey was just plain weird. Jesus didn't have, I love this, Jesus didn't have a slick, advanced man with a $1,000 suit and a $200 haircut. Do you know why? 
Because God uses weird people. Hey, come on. There's some people that shout a little louder than others. God uses weird people. Amen. I'm so glad. I know you can. It's all right. You can point at me. I can point at you. How, how, how glad are we to know that God uses imperfect people? Amen. Not those who seem to like to have it all together, but those who, who rely on God. I know I'm glad for that. God uses weird people to accomplish great things. He does, man. John baptizes these people and then he tells them, live right. He baptizes them, tells them, live right. And they begin to ask him some questions. They, they start to see his ministry and it's growing. In fact, at this point, his ministry was growing from not just the region, but throughout the world or the known world at that time. He was gaining disciples. This is John the Baptist. He has men that are following him, that are learning from him, that are teaching what he's teaching. And so people begin to question him and they, they ask this question. They say, are you the Christ? Are you him? Are you the Messiah? John quickly, he quickly says, no, 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 I'm not him. He lays that to rest. He has to. He says, I'm not him. I, you know, listen, I want to tell you this, and this is what John says. The man who's coming, I'm not even fit to untie his shoes. Bible says, he says, I'm not even fit to untie this guy's sandals. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Man, I love that. John the Baptist says, well, I'm not the Christ. You got, you got this all wrong. I am making a path for the Christ. He's on his way, but I'm not him because I baptize you with, with water, but he's going to baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. How many are, how many are so glad that we can be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire? Amen. This is still the Pentecostal church this morning, right? I didn't step into a Lutheran church this morning, did I? No, praise the Lord. Come on. If you grew up Lutheran, don't be offended. It's just how it goes. We then come to verse 21 in Luke chapter 3. It says this. This is the account of Jesus being baptized. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, here's what happens. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from came from heaven, and it said this, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. Now, before moving back to the Gospel of John, I want us to recognize what happens here at the baptism of Jesus. The heavens are opened. The Holy Spirit descends upon Him. And God the Father speaks over him. Remember last week I said we were going to begin to look at the Trinity. This is where we are looking at the Trinity. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all here together in these verses. There are those, even within the Pentecostal tradition, that deny the Trinity. There are. There's people that would say it's Jesus only. Meaning that when we get to heaven, it will only be Jesus. There's, uh, there's some, there's cults 
How many know Jehovah's Witnesses? They come to your door every once in a while. They deny that Jesus is even God. They say he's just, he's just a, he was a creation. He was, he was created. That God created him. These are both wildly unbiblical and horrible interpretations. But it brings up the question, Pastor David, what is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? In order to learn that, you need to be at Bobby Hansen's class on Wednesday, February, right? No. What is the Trinity? We're, we're gonna, it's gonna be discussed there, right, Gary? Right, Bobby? Praise the Lord. But the description for the Trinity is this. Listen to this. And really, that's Theology 101. I encourage everybody to be there. We are going to dig into the, the, the fundamentals of our faith. Amen? The fundamentals of our faith. But to kind of give you an overview, this is the description for the Trinity is this. The doctrine of the Trinity is the belief that there is one God. Everybody say one God who has revealed himself in three persons. They are separate but equal. They are equal in substance. They are equal in power. And they are equal in glory. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It is not that there are three gods. That's what's called tritheism. That's not what we're talking about here. There is one God. Amen? I love... uh, Somebody said... You know, if you grew up in church in any time uh, while you were younger, you know there's a few different ways that people try to show us what the Trinity is, right? Uh, of course, how many, some we were talking about, me and Bobby were talking about this just this last week. Some people use the egg. How many have ever seen this example? Uh, you have, of course, the three things that make up an egg are the shell, the white of the egg, and the yolk. And that those three things are all part of one egg. See, but even then, there's a separation. It's, it's an imperfect example. Then there's some people use the states of water. We say water has three forms. It's gas, it's liquid, and it's solid, right? But all three, there's a lot of solid water outside right now. But all three are water. And so they'll say, well, that's three in one. That can kind of explain it in there. These are all imperfect examples to try and explain the Trinity. They're imperfect examples. They get close. They try to get as close as they can. But it's an imperfect example because it's all three are equal in power and glory. The Trinity is clearly taught in Scripture and rightly taught in Bible-believing churches. There is one God revealed in three persons. We see this clearly in Luke 3.21. I do find it interesting. So there's, there's churches that will say, well, it's, it's Jesus only. It's Jesus only now. If it were to be Jesus only, and people have, have used this before, I kind of like this, this, uh, this look at it, is if they use this scripture with Jesus only theology, here's how it would read. And when all the people were baptized, when Jesus had also been baptized, and as Jesus was praying, the heavens were opened, and Jesus descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove, and Jesus' voice came from heaven saying, Jesus said, you are my son, Jesus, and I am well pleased. It doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. To say Jesus only doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The Trinity is clearly seen in Scriptures. 
And now we come back to the Gospel of John. That was a quick overview. We're going to get more in-depth during the classes on Wednesday night. Be sure to show up. That's right. That's my little plug right there. We now come back to the Gospel of John. He recounts the events of Jesus' baptism. He recounts the events in John 1, 29-34. And then he brings us into how Jesus starts bringing the disciples together. I love this. He starts bringing the disciples together. He says, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist is standing with two of his disciples, one of whom is John the Apostle, the other of whom was a man named Andrew. I like this. He says this, and he looked at Jesus and he walked by and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is there. Jesus is walking by. These two men are with John the Baptist. John the Baptist goes, that's him. That's the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. That's simple. They followed Jesus. We have here the two men that are first disciples of John the Baptist. But John the Baptist isn't holding them for himself. He's holding them for Christ. Amen? Amen. What are you holding to yourself? What are you holding to yourself? He's holding it for Christ. Then he says this, verse 38, he says this, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Jesus says, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So you'll start to recognize some of the names that are going to be given here. Was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. We found him. We found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Who we know as Peter, one of the fathers of the church. This is his calling, as well as some other ones. Jesus here is putting the band together. You know what I mean? He's putting the band together, calling those men who would serve with him really closely over the next three years. He's calling these men, and and if it seems like all these men just dropped what they were doing and followed Christ, I mean, it seems like, hey, there's the Son of God, and these men just ran, and so, okay, that's it, that's we're going. If it seems like they just dropped everything they were doing and followed Christ, that was not always the case. It just was not always the case. For some, it took a little convincing. For some, they were a little bit skeptical. We see this with the man called Nathaniel. Hold on with me. The man called Nathaniel. Please go to the next slide. It says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. He found Philip, said, follow me. Clearly, Philip followed him. Philip was from Bethsaida the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses is in the law 
And also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Philip is telling this man, Nathaniel, about the Christ. He's telling him about the Messiah. Nathaniel's response is stunning because he says this, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, in order to give you the context of this, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. There's a pastor who's talking about Nathan's, Nathaniel, I keep saying Nathan, but it's Nathaniel, Nathaniel's prejudice. Why is, why is Nathaniel so prejudiced against this place? Why does he say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why is there such prejudice here? I like what one pastor says concerning this prejudice. He says this, nothing much came from Nazareth. It was an obscure village tucked away in the hills of Galilee. We have lots of names for places like that. Listen carefully. Backwoods. Boondocks. How many ever lived in the boondocks? Hicksville. There's some that I found more offensive than others, but... uh, Trailer park territory. Yeah. Home of the rednecks. How many are happy to be a redneck? Come on, I got a truck for it now, so... Backwards. Those people are behind the times. Right? Dead end. Every country and state and province has a place like Nazareth, right? It's a place so remote that nothing ever happens there. No one of distinction lives there. No one of importance comes from there. Why Nathaniel said, can anything good come from Nazareth? It would be like somebody from Minneapolis saying, can anything good come from Esterville? Come on. It's highly unlikely that a Messiah would come from a place like that. If you were looking for someone the prophets were talking about, you go to Jerusalem. You go to the capital city. You go to the place of sophistication, right? You go to where people are. Here's the irony. Both then and now, for every Jerusalem, there's hundreds of places like Nazareth. The world is filled with unlikely places where nothing ever seems to happen. There's no great university, little towns without much commerce, places off the beaten path, right? Think of it this way. Can anything good come out of Groover? Gary? (laughs) Can anything good come out of Grettinger? Come on. Can anything good come out of Spirit Lake? Can anything good come out of Ruthven or Emmitsburg? Can anything good come from this place? That's what Nathaniel's saying here. That's what Nathaniel has a prejudice here. He says, hold on a second. Can anything good come out of that place? That's just a small little town. I, I love I love this. I love what happens here. Philip answers him with a simple response. Simple. He says these words, three words. Come and see. Come and see. 
Those three words. Go back to the next slide. Go back to the first slide. He says, come and see. To those who think they don't need Jesus, just come and see. Just, just, it is the essence of presenting Christ to somebody. Not shoving it down their throat, not, not going off on them and, and no, you have to get saved or you're going to go to hell and, and you don't understand. No, no, simply this. If you want to know Jesus, come and see. Come and see what he's doing. To those who doubt his story, come and see. To those who prefer a more sophisticated savior, come and see. Philip simply says, come and see. And Nathaniel sees more than he could have imagined. Go to the next slide. Philip says to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, in order to grab a hold of what this means, I want to break this down for you. Because this is the way Jesus approaches people. He says, remember, what did Nathaniel say about Jesus? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything, it's kind of a, it's a dig, right? He's kind of, he's kind of pushing, he's, there, there's a bit of offense there. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And this is the way Jesus Jesus approaches him. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In case you're not catching this, Jesus has a personality. He's not this stick-in-the-mud, serious-all-the-time Savior. Here, he's kind of joking with Nathaniel. He's joking with him. He's kind of ribbing him a little bit. I want you to, it's funny because he says this, it's both loving and playful. Nathaniel says, could anything good come out of Nazareth? And Jesus says, oh, look, an Israelite. Indeed, there's no deceit there. Thank you, Sue, you get it. Because here's what's funny about it. Jesus was digging on the past of Israel. Remember, a couple weeks ago, we studied before Israel was Israel, who was he? He was Jacob, a deceiver. Jesus is playing on that here. They would be like if there were some kind of funny, uh, kind of embarrassing maybe thing, and, and Jesus kind of ribs them a little bit about it. And he says, oh, look, an Israelite. Okay, you think anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, here I am. Oh, look, there's no deceit in you. You're from Israel. And Jesus is kind of joking with him here. He's playful. He's loving. Jesus greets him this way. The words, you know, remember, Jacob was a deceiver. He became Israel. And now it's kind of probably a point of contention in this area. Jesus uses this language to disarm Nathaniel. He disarms him with charm and with, with love and playfulness and kind of a little bit of sarcasm. And, and, and how many know Jesus was not just this like, I think a lot of times our picture of Jesus is messed up. I think, I think a lot of times our picture of Jesus is just... Well, Bryce, did you read your scriptures this morning? (laughs) 
We have this picture of Jesus as this kind of staunch, right? Well, Jonathan, do you know that I love you? Jesus, not me. (laughs) I died for your sins. And so therefore, from now on, everything is going to be very serious and, and upright and staunch. This is not the Savior we're seeing here. This is not the Savior. This is the Savior saying, Steve, oh man, Steve. <laughs> I love Steve. I can joke around with Steve. This is Steve kind of giving him a rib a little bit. Hey man, how's that motorcycle going for you? Good? Yeah, don't let Gary drive it. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's joking around with Nathaniel. He says, oh, look, an Israelite. There's no deceit there. It's a joke. It's sarcasm. It disarms him. He's doing it lovingly and playfully. And then Jesus stuns. He first, he first plays with him, and then he stuns him. He stuns him with his glory. He says this, Before Philip even called you, I saw you. Before Philip even called you, I saw you. And he says, when you were under the fig tree. What does that mean? Under the fig tree was a phrase that rabbis used to describe meditating on the Scriptures. It means means Nathaniel was spending time with the Lord. He was meditating on the Word of God. He was meditating on the Word of God. And Jesus says, I saw you there. I saw you. He plays with him. He, it, 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 is, it shows the character and personality of Jesus. And what happens changes Nathaniel's attitude in, a, in an instant. Go to the next slide. He says this very clearly. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. And you are the King of Israel. And I love Jesus' response here because he goes, he says this, go to the next slide. He says, because I said to you, I saw you under a fig tree, you believe? That's all I had to do? That's what Jesus says. That's, that's, wait a second. So because I said I saw you under a fig tree, now you believe? You just wait. That's what he's saying to you. You just wait. You will see greater things than these. And he said, listen, listen, Nathaniel, you just wait. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You just, there was such a change in attitude right away. Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And one of the things I love is how Jesus approaches people here. He's playful with them. He shows he can take it and he can give it a little bit. Right? How many know someone who can take it or who can give it but can't take it? Yeah. How many know someone who can take it but doesn't give it too well? I used to be one of those guys that would give it, and then when it was given back to me, I'd get upset. <laughs> Why are they always picking on me? It seemed like Jesus could give it and take it a little bit. He says this, I, I love, he says, just because I saw you under a fig tree, you believe in me? Nathaniel, you just wait. Just wait. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus' approach to Nathaniel 
isn't unlike his approach to us. It's not unlike his approach to us. When we come to him with uncertainty, he disarms us with his love. Right? He removes our doubts with his glory. When we praise him for what he's done, I imagine that he's sitting there going, you just wait. Just wait. There's more to come. I'm going to do even greater things in your life. He first disarms us. He brings us to him. Then he stuns us with his presence. We say, God, that was so awesome. Man, thank you, Lord, for that service. We encountered the Holy Spirit. And God says, just wait. Just wait. I have even more for you. I have greater things for your life. Pastor David, I have so many doubts. And Pastor David, I have so many doubts. I would say this. In order to remove those doubts, come and see. Nathaniel was a skeptic. Philip simply said these words, come and see. What does that mean, Pastor David? Get closer to him. Come and see. Allow him to show you his glory. Just come and see. Allow him to show you his glory and then simply follow. Listen to this. Follow what it is he's called you to do. What is it God's called you to do? Are you following God's presence in your life? Pastor David, I'm living in sin. Move closer to him. Come and see. Pastor David, I'm not doing the right things. Pastor David, I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about God's plan for my life. Get closer to him. Get closer to him. Follow his presence. Come and see. Amen? Just as he did for Nathaniel, I want him to do for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that you have invited us to come and see. Lord, this morning I pray that those who are here, Lord, that, that as you approach us on our level, you approach Nathaniel on his level, as you approach us on our level, Lord, you disarm us with your love and you stun us with your glory. Lord, I pray that we would draw closer to you. I pray that we would gain relationship with you this morning. Lord, that as we go back to our homes and our jobs and the school and and, and what we do in our lives, Lord, let them not become so cluttered that we forget to spend time with you. Spend time with your word. Spend time in your presence. Spend time just in worship. Spend time just in prayer. Just just listening to the Holy Spirit speak. Lord, I thank You how You approach us. Lord, I pray over each person here that You would approach them this week. That they would feel Your presence stronger than they have previously. Lord, I pray that You would bless them. Lord, I pray that You would keep them. Lord, I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.